If you are grabbing one of those pew Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4 is in page 1080 or 1080, however you'd like to say that. When you're there, say, Jesus is Lord. All right, sounds like we're mostly there. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Please direct your attention to the screen. Hi, I'm Susan Carroll. I've been at Westside for just a little over two years now, and I serve on worship team. So family, church family, family is a big thing for me. I have always wanted from being a small child, I always wanted a big family. That has not worked out for me in my life. I love my two kids and our family's growing with them being married, but coming here to Westside, I'm able to have the family through Christ that I wasn't given through what. For me, serving is not reserved to Sunday morning worship service or special events at Westside. Serving is a part of my everyday life. It's an outpouring and an overflowing, I guess, of the love that Christ has given me. And it's something that I can do in gratitude for what Christ has done in my life that I can love other people. As it says in Galatians 5.14, that we are to love one another. And serving people is showing that love. And that is part of my moment-by-moment relationship with God. If you are not fully engaged, then there's no way that you're ever going to be able to really receive the fullness 
and the blessing that community and that relationship can bring to your life. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here as we continue in our sermon series entitled One and Many. Um, If it's your first time here, be sure to go on our website and you can find uh, sort of the past sermons in this. And what we're looking at is sort of a vision series for us. So we take time at the beginning of of, of every sort of school year in September to address sort of who we are as a church, where are we going, what are we about. And sort of this year, we're looking at this idea of what the scriptures teach about the body of Christ. And so that's the term that the New Testament talks about when it talks about a church, when it talks about a group of believers. It talks about the body. And there's this sort of dichotomy there that we're each individual, like part of the members. So there's a unity that's a diversity. We are one, but we are also many. And really what we've narrowed down in Ephesians 4 over the past couple of weeks is we're also looking at this idea of spiritual gifts. And just to lay before you, um, we've advertised this each week. We've got a book for sale out there in the lobby. It's 10 bucks. It cost us 12 We're giving it to you for 10 There are a few copies left. Um, it's The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. And what this book is really going to do for you is it's going to help you sort of supplement this series. Um, just quite frankly, for time, I'm not able to dive into sort of everything, but there's Great things in this book. We agree with the theology of this book and sort of line up with that. So please get that, supplement that. You can read a chapter a day um, as a devotional, and it's, we've got great feedback from this. And so you're going to get as much out of this as you put into this. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Last week, we sort of talked about and looked at and defined what is a spiritual gift. And this is how we're defining this through the rest of the series. We're saying that spiritual gift or a spiritual gift is the supernatural abilities given by God to the people of God in order to accomplish the work of God for the glory of God. Okay, that's a loaded sentence, but it's the supernatural ability. So we believe that the scriptures teach that like Romans 10, 9, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ Jesus raised from the dead, that God will save you. And when he does that, he sends the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our bodies. It's crazy to think about the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead sets up shop in our life. And that's what it is to be a Christian. It's a supernatural thing. But God has given us these gifts and abilities to accomplish his mission and his purpose. So one of the things we always try to remember at Westside is the Christian life is something that's supernatural. The church is supernatural. This is not something that just happens. This is something that God is doing in our midst. And the reason why we go forth to accomplish the work of God is to give glory to God. So that when people would see that literally heaven is invading earth through the people of God, that addictions are being broken, that marriages are being restored, that people are... Gro- I'm already preaching we're like five minutes into this thing, right? I mean, that people are starting to look more and more like Jesus every single day, that that gives glory to God. And so today we're going to kind of pump the brakes and slow down a little bit more. But to help us with this, in September 1st of 2015, Catherine Tamish released her book entitled Team Moon. 
how 400,000 people landed the Apollo 11 on the moon. As I studied this book this week, it went immediately to my Amazon list. I'm going to be reading this this year. It just is incredible. But when we think of Apollo 11, we think of one man, right? Neil Armstrong. One small step for Matt, right? Or if you're a conspiracy theorist, did it even happen? I don't know, right? Goodness gracious, okay? But what's cool about this is so this happened in on uh, June, June of 1969, right? The United States was sort of in the race to send a man to the moon, John F. Kennedy, right? We're, it is our mission to send a man on the moon and to bring him back safely, like this great speech. But what she does in this book is she sort of peels back the curtain and tells you, like, we think of these couple guys just sort of bouncing around on the moon. But the reality is, is how many people let this actually happen and achieve this. Here's what she says. Spacesuit seamstress, like I thought about this week, somebody sewed the spacesuit together, right? Uh, No pressure, okay, right? I mean, they sewed it down here on Earth and were like, Maybe it'll work up there. Who knows? I mean, goodness gracious, spacesuit seamstress, radio telescope operators, parachute designers, and others who made it possible to get men to the moon and then to get them home safely. Like, so it wasn't just the mission to, like, get these guys on the moon. It was also like, oh, we have to bring them back now, right? I mean, that's insane to think about. All of these people made it possible to get them there and bring them back home, but also to let the rest of the world watch while it happened. Listen to this. At the Kennedy Space Center, 17,000 engineers, mechanics, soldiers, contractors, and other workers set up the enormous missile for the launch. Then there were the two bobs, The guys in Houston monitoring just how little fuel was left in the lunar module during its descent to the surface. Team Moon also includes a 24-year-old computer whiz kid, Jack Graham, who helped work through worrisome computer glitches during the Eagle's landing. The computer code that ran all of the systems, which by the way, I found this out this week, if you have a car that is 2015 or newer, you have almost the same amount of code in your car that put men on the moon. Right? So it's not just the transmission anymore, okay, right? There's a lot going on with that. That's insane. The computer code that ran all the systems was developed by a team of software engineers at MIT. Roughly 500 people worked on the spacesuit, including one seamstress who commented, this is great, we didn't worry too much about it until the guys on the moon started jumping up and down, and then we got a little worried. <laughs> But think about this, okay? Like Neil Armstrong and a couple other guys on the moon, we see them on the TV. But with her research, it took 400,000 people to make that possible. Listen, that is a perfect picture of the church of Jesus Christ. That there is right now, even while you're sitting in your pew, a whole host of volunteers and people that are doing things to make this happen. And not just this happen. This week I found out that there was a whole group of guys that went out and helped a widow who's a shut-in, who's a member of our church, deal with some things on her property. And you know what was beautiful? I didn't know anything about it, right? I mean, it's just literally people doing things and making things happen. That's why we're calling this 
one and many. That it is one body, but it is many members doing a ton of things to move the mission and the purpose of God forward. And so today, what the big idea and the thesis that I'm going to lay before you that we see in the text is this. The church is a diversity of people that are a unity of people. We're saying that every single week, okay? It's a diversity of people that are a unity of people who know, show, and grow in their spiritual gifts, right? So it's not just something to know it. 1 Corinthians 12.1, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, I would have you not to be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. We are to know them, but we're also to show them. We're to express this. We're to be moving in this. You're hearing these video testimonies of of people who are getting involved and saying, hey, this is what it's like for me now in my life to sort of show how God has gifted me. But it's not just that. That we're also, what you heard read to you, is that we're to grow in this. That this is a lifelong process. This is not something like, oh, I know what my spiritual gift is now. I'm going to show this. And then it's done that we grow in this, that this is a lifelong process. But one of the things we've been doing each week, and we've got a lot of great feedback from this, is we're just talking about sometimes maybe some of the errors and sometimes some of the assumptions about spiritual gifts. You know, I think sometimes when we become Christians and have attended a church for a long time, we forget that we're actually sort of like fish in a fishbowl. We forget what it's like outside the fishbowl. And so we start using language and Christianese and, well, I'm going to use discernment today. You know, and people are like, what are you talking about, you know? Like, what is it about spiritual gifts? And I think sometimes there's multiple ways that we can approach them. And the first one sometimes is, is that we're forgetful. So maybe you, you grew up in church all your life. Um, maybe that you were just never taught this idea of what spiritual gifts are. And sort of, it was kind of like, you know, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and then God the Holy Bible. Because the Holy Spirit's weird, and it's awkward, and we don't really know what to do with that. And so we know that it's in there, and we say that we believe it in our minds, but we're not really practicing this, and we're a little bit forgetful. Or how about this? Um, We're fearful, right? I think sometimes it's like, man, I know this, I know this, I know this, but I am very scared to show this. Because it is very dangerous when church becomes predictable. Now, there's routine, there's things that we know that we're going to partake in, singing, praying, Bible reading, the Lord's table, all of those things. But when it comes to living the Christian life, when the Holy Spirit is living the life of Jesus through you, Listen, he's going to take you places sometimes that you never had any intention of going to. And so this is kind of where I land sometimes because I'm a Bible guy. I love like, you know, studying old dead guys and things like that. But listen, there's an element and a time where I have to put the books down and I have to step out in faith. And it's a little bit fearful sometimes. But then maybe some of you grew up with a background where it was forceful. And so it was almost like a tribal mindset, like, you know, you get saved and then you start doing this stuff and sort of speaking this language and then you got to know the language and do this stuff and you're not really in the clique if you haven't said, you know, last night I got a vision or this, that, and the other. And it was almost like this pressure to be sort of super Christian and you're not living the Christian life if you haven't seen 27 miracles today and this, that, and the other. And it's sort of almost forced 
on us. And what's funny is when we see teaching about the spiritual gifts in the scriptures, there is often more warnings about them than there is practical explanations as to how to use them. Because these things can be a little bit dangerous sometimes. But where we want to land at West Side is faithful. We don't want to be forgetful. We don't want to be fearful. We don't want to be forceful. We want to be faithful with what God has given us. So for some of us, it's going to stretch us. You're going to have to read your Bible and know what you believe. You grew up in a background. Preacher said some things. There was just some language. And you have no idea why that was said or what the meaning behind that is. That's going to be where your faithfulness comes in. And then for some of you, it's going to sort of kind of be like me, like, hey, man, we're going to have to set the theology books down, and we're just going to have to practice this thing and step out in faith for that. And so today, what we see in the text, we've been in Ephesians 4, and the Apostle Paul has talked about this is what the church looks like. This is a blueprint of this. And we saw last week that Jesus is the giver of the gifts. He's giving spiritual gifts and why he gives them to build up the body. And so today we're going to look at who gets spiritual gifts, how do I find them, and what do I do with it now that I know and sort of see what the scriptures have taught. So the first thing that we see is this, who gets spiritual gifts? And there's a reason why I'm taking time to do this. But look, it's right there in the text. The point should always come from the text. You should challenge me with your Bible in your hand. If you don't have your Bible in your hand, it's going to be weird for you today, okay? Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What I love about how particular that sentence is, is that Paul says grace was given... He doesn't say to everyone. He doesn't, he like narrows it down to each one of us. Do you see the theme? One, us, one, and many. I think there's a reason why that he takes time to do that. And then later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, right from the text, who gets spiritual gifts? Each one of us. Anybody who has called upon the name of the Lord, turned from their sin, and trusted in Jesus Christ, God has given the Holy Spirit to them, and with that has gifted them particularly for the common good. What's interesting about this word manifestation, it literally means to shine like a light. Shine like a light. There was one guy who was preaching that sermon one time who said that we're like a city on a hill. Oh yeah, Jesus, right? I have never read the sermon. I'm just trying to help me out with this. Okay, right? Kidding, okay? So it almost brings a whole new meaning to when Jesus says to let your light shine before men. What he's saying is, is that you've been given a gift. The reason why I think this is important to spend time on is because oftentimes, and I think why the Apostle Paul lays this down, is what you see happening up here or out there, or if someone's teaching, or if someone leads this or does that, then everyone sort of says, oh yeah, they have a gift. And what's interesting, man, us as Christians, for us to be loved, forgiven, adopted, redeemed, chosen, blessed, we still think that God loves everybody else, but he struggles with loving me. And man, it's a game changer, as the psalmist says, 
Who is man that you are mindful of him? That God knows what's happening in the cosmos right now. But listen, that he also cares about the intricate details of your life. And that he has given you a gift. So here's what I need you to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a gift. You have a gift. Turn to your neighbor. You have a gift. You have a gift. Turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, you have a gift. You have a gift. Yeah, you have a gift. It's okay to talk in church. Have fun. It's all right. It's okay, right? Now, now say out loud, I have a gift. I have a gift. And listen, this, this changes the way that we now look at church, okay? What's happening right now is a part of church. It's the gathering. It's where we come. It's where we get encouraged. It's where we see each other. It's where we pray. It's where we come for the graces that God has given us. This is not all. If in your walk with Christ, this is it, you will hit a glass ceiling in your walk with Jesus. But I love the analogy that John Stott uses in his book, Baptism in the Fullness of the Spirit. I would highly recommend it to you. It's only 120 pages. I read it this week, and it's phenomenal. But he gives this analogy. Everybody sort of views church like a a school bus, if you will, right? I mean, look how theologically in-depth that picture is right now. I mean, it's deep stuff here at Westside, okay? But he said that oftentimes people view church like a school bus. There's a driver, the pastor, who's sort of lead, leading, and he knows where we're going, and this, that, and the other. And everybody else is sort of sitting on the bus. They're there, they're apart, but it's like I'm not really contributing as much as I am sort of just here. The, the driver's there, the pastor's there, the pastoral team's there, but we're here and they should be taking us somewhere. The problem is, is that's not how the scriptures define the body of Christ. And he said it's not really like a school bus as much as it is like a rowboat. That every single person is contributing, putting forth effort, And doing things. Yes, God has set up structures, and yes, He calls certain people to accountability and things like that. But at the end of the day, we are one of many. And listen, the greatest way for you to get frustrated in this church and to literally sabotage this church is to place all of your expectations up on the pastoral staff of this church. Don't you dare place those expectations on us because, number one, we were never made to fulfill them and we will let you down. But when you come to understand that I have a part in this, that I am somebody rowing with the team to get somewhere. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. No one has everything, but everyone has something. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Not a single person has every gift, but every single person has a gift. There's a reason why I'm taking time to tell you this. It is massively important for you to understand. And some of you are still out there going, yeah, but I don't really think I have one. And you're arguing with me. That's fine. Okay, that's fine. But you've got to know that the scriptures teach that every single Christian and that every member of a local congregation has a gift. It's not a school bus. It's a rowboat. No one has everything, but everyone has something. So the second question is this, how do I find it? Okay, if I've got it, okay, I get it, Pastor Jason. Whoa, okay, all right, you made the point, all right, everybody has a gift. How do I find this thing? Well, look at the text in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, 
Now, here in verse 11, he's more so talking about offices and gifted people. This is what most scholars and theologians believe, that this text is for the global church. That, that if you go to any congregation anywhere in the world, from Siberia to Popper Bluff, Missouri, these offices will be, be practiced there, right? But in other passages like 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter, Romans 12, it's more personal, right? So he's talking about gifted offices, but look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now jump all the way down to verse 16. From which the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, here it is, is working properly makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. The key phrase, working properly, okay? So it's not just I have a gift, but it's that I know this gift, that I'm showing this gift, and then I'm growing in this gift, that it's working properly. Maybe this will help. Um, There are horrific words that haunt me when it comes to Christmas Day as being a parent now. And it often comes on a warning label, and it looks like this. (laughs) Some assembly required. And some of these toys that my kids get on Christmas need some of these NASA engineers to put together, right? And then now they insult your intelligence. There's not even words. There's just pictures now. There's just pictures It's like, you know, I mean, and it's some assembly required. Listen, that's a lot like spiritual gifts, okay? We've got the gift, right? Christmas Day, we've got the gift. Some assembly required, okay? We need to know about how to function in this and how to move in this. Um, There is a guy who has been accredited to much in church history by the name of John Newton. Now, you might not know him, but you know of his works, Um, John Newton wrote probably the most famous hymn in all of the world, Amazing Grace. So he was a slave owner and a slave trader, and God convicted him of that horrific sin and injustice. And then he gives his life to the church. He becomes an Anglican priest. But he had a heart for pastors. And so many people and young pastors would write him letters. And so we have the letters of, of, of John Newton. And they would ask him often, how did you find your calling? How did you find your passion? And so listen, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, a lot of business people have used this in the world, but we can trace this back to John Newton. And there were three primary things that he talked about when it comes to finding your gift and to finding your passion and your calling. Okay, so so this is your spiritual gift. See, it's got a sign and it's wrapped like a gift. Okay, all right, here we go. Y'all got to help me. I'm trying, okay? I'm trying here, all right? Um, the first thing that, that Newton talked about was, was ability, okay? Ability. And so what am I good at? What goes into finding our spiritual gift? One of the things that I think that we do in the church is oftentimes we over-spiritualize things, right? Like, like hey, God gave you a, a brain, That's fantastic. Some stuff, this is crazy, you don't even need to pray about. Because God gave you a brain, okay? And he's also given you abilities. And so oftentimes when we think about supernatural gifts, yes, they are supernatural, but God is partnering with us in our life. So the question comes down to, what am I good at? 
Now, here's what's difficult with this. Failure is actually a good thing in your life. Many of us um, have a great fear of failure, which is, which is me, and, and a lot of us have deep insecurities about that. But, but listen, we're only going to know things if we try things. So, so parents, listen, being a helicopter parent and not letting your kid fail is one of the worst things that you can do for them in their life, right? They don't need another cupcake and another star. They need a spanking and a hug, okay? That's exactly what they need, all right? Right? But, but, but it's your ability. What am I good at? That's what goes in to finding your spiritual gift. The second thing that he talked about is, is affinity, okay? It's a big word, but so is frappuccino, all right? Affinity is where we get the word affections from, right? So we ask this question, what do I love? And some of you are like, man, that's a difficult, I don't know, what do I love? Well, here's a follow-up question to help you with that question. What breaks your heart? What are you drawn to when you see injustices? What, what do you love? So, so for me, a cold, rainy day and a blank sheet of paper and my Bible and a bunch of old dead guys who wrote books in my office is the third heaven for me. Okay, right? Some of you are like, good Lord, that sounds like the seventh circle of hell to me, right? Some of you are like, because... I can't be in there. I've got to be, I've got to be around people, man. I've got to talk to people. I'm going to go nut. Oh, okay. You love people, so you probably have like a high mercy gift, high evangelistic gift. We're going to talk about those things, okay? Ability, what am I good at? Affinity, what, what do I love? This is what is going into finding your spiritual gift. And then the last thing is massively important, which is this, affirmation. Affirmation. Have other people seen this in me? That's why in our passage it says, speak the truth in love. Here's what's so important about this is, listen, we don't call ourselves. God has given us the local church. Some assembly is required, okay? So we don't, we're not self-proclaimed prophets, okay? That's David Koresh, and those are cults, all right? God has given us a local congregation. And so what I use and talk about is, is the church of good intentions, right? First Church of Good Intentions, you know that church, right? You go and everything's chaotic and little sister so-and-so or brother Deacon Bob, this guy, stands up and sings a special, right? Nobody told Brother Bob that ain't his gift, bro, right? (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And then this person gets up and teaches and you walk out and get in the car and go, good Lord, right? Listen, listen. But here's where we cop out. Well, they love the Lord. They have good intent. Yes, praise God. They have good intentions, but just not there, okay? Just not there. So listen, we are to affirm things in our lives. That, hey, listen, I know you're passionate here. Have you ever tried this, right? The church, anytime that we see in the book of Acts, when they uh, appoint another elder or a pastor, it says that as they were worshiping and fasting together, the Holy Spirit, through the congregation, set apart Paul and Barnabas. Right? It's affirmed. Charles Spurgeon tells a story one time at the height of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I mean, we're talking 8,000 people back in Victorian London. This guy was thundering from the pulpit. 
A guy walked up one Sunday and said, Dear Mr. Spurgeon, the Holy Spirit of God has told me today that you are not to preach, but I am. And Spurgeon said, Well, my dear brother, it could not have been the Spirit of God because he did not tell me. (laughs) So this is what helps us with the language of, Well, God told me. Okay, listen, newsflash, look up here. God doesn't tell you in a vacuum, in a dark room, all by yourself. He uses, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God and the people of God to affirm these things in your life. This is what goes into finding your spiritual gift. It's your abilities, it's your affinities, and it's the affirmations. And then listen, if you were to picture these things as like three rings, when those three rings come together... And what meshes in the middle, that's your area. When all of that is working together, that is where you find this. One person has said it this way, where your passions meet a need is where you find your calling. So your passion is always going to meet a need. Guess what? God is not going to give you a gift that does not meet a need. That's pointless. That's pointless. It's always a purpose. It's always finding something behind that. And so one of the things that we want to do here is we're sort of rolling something out. Now listen, there's all types of what um, you know, churches call spiritual gift assessments. Okay, So these are some tests that sort of help you with your personality and things like that. Listen, nothing is all-encompassing. Nothing, you're not going to take this test and then just the heavens are going to open and it's, and it's just like Jesus is going to appear in your room. None of that's going to happen, but I believe that they're helpful to you. And then it's also helpful to the church for some assembly required. So here's what we're doing as a church. We have partnered with an organization called Church Growth. And so if you go to our website, our website looks like this. And then if you go to the tabs up at the top where you can go to online giving, sermons, and everything, you'll see a spiritual gifts tab. Click that tab. It'll take you to this page. And it gives a brief explanation of everything that I've just told you. There'll be a button that you click, and then it'll take you to this page, which is your spiritual gift analysis. It is going to take you about 10 to 15 minutes to do. And then at the end, it's going to sort of talk about three areas. Now, next week, we're going to get into the listing of those and look at, look at what it looks like to move in the spirit in those and then to move in the flesh. But, man, once you read that about yourself and then the descriptions that this company provides are incredible. So this will go live on our Facebook page later on this afternoon, or you can go to our website. Not right now during the sermon. Give me a second. All right. <laughs> But go to that, and then listen, that and your Bible, and then with your abilities, your affinities, and then the affirmation with that, I believe that what the Spirit of God is going to start doing with Westside is some assembly required. We're going to find out that, oh my gosh, you're gifted here, and that God has done this in your life. So who gets gifts? Everybody. How do we find those? It's where your passions meet a need. That's where your gift is going to be. But the last thing is this, what do I do now? (laughs) Okay, do I just go out now and just start working in the supernatural and doing all these things? Well, Paul has a phrase here. Look in verse 13. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now here it is, to mature 
manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you know what he's telling us? Grow up. That's the Jason translation. It's in the Greek, okay? Grow up. Now, some of us have been involved in a church, have attended Westside for a number of years, and Sunday morning is your extent. And listen, that is a problem. That is a huge problem. Paul is telling you, Paul is telling you, who's telling you? Paul is telling you, through the Spirit of God, grow up. For some of you, you came broken, lost, afraid, and listen, you needed time to heal. Praise God that we're a church where people can come and heal. Hear the Word of God. Get loved on. Take a breath. Help in my marriage. Awesome. What's Paul telling you now? Grow up. Now it's time. Now it's time to get involved. So, so how do I do this? Here's some pastoral advice to you. How do we grow up? How do we grow up like Paul said? The first thing I want you to do is this, study up. In order to grow up, I need you to study up. Right? Listen, I want you to challenge what I am teaching you. There was a group of people in the New Testament when Paul went and preached. You know what the verse says? That when Paul would preach... They would go back home, they would grab their Bibles, and they would study to see if what he said was true. They were called the Bereans. Listen, study up. There's a reason why that we don't put a lot of the Bible verses on the screen, because use your Bible, okay? God forbid we come to church and use the Bible. It's fascinating, right? Even if you have a fake Bible on your phone, that's fine. We'll let it slide, okay, right? But study up. But the second thing is this. Pray up. In order to grow up, you need to study up, and then you need to pray up. Man, this is, this is real stuff. And this is not something... God, some of us pray more about whether we should buy a car or a house than our spiritual gift. What? I mean, this is a big deal. And what Paul is saying is there's a level of maturity here. This is a journey. And listen, I'm going to challenge some of you who goes, I've taken a thousand assessments, I've studied, I've done all of this. Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness you've arrived. Then please lead us to the way, O chosen one, right? Listen, in the Christian life, listen, the day you arrive is the day you meet Jesus. That's when you've, quote, made it. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So either you die and go meet Jesus, or Jesus comes back and ends this whole thing, and then we go with him. That's when we arrive. Until then, we are studying up and we are praying up. But the last thing is this, stir up. In order to grow up, I need you to study up, pray up, and then stir up. And here's what I mean. In the book of Hebrews, we get this exhortation. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Stir it. It's just right there. Okay, cool. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stir each other up. Do you know what that word actually means in the original? To aggravate. And some of y'all are really gifted than other people at that, all right? All I'm saying, right? It means to aggravate and to agitate and to stir up. And listen, maybe, maybe this will help, okay? Listen, I think a lot of us, right, let's say that this is you, okay? 
This is you pure as the driven snow when you have come to meet Jesus, right? Awesome, incredible. And what it says is, is that when you call upon the name of the Lord, that the Holy Spirit comes into your life, just like Hershey's chocolate. Praise be to God, it's a sweet thing. The majority of people live their Christian life just like this. Separated, I've got this area in my life. Here I am, I know I've got the Holy Spirit. This is great. Not really meshing, I've got boxes in my life. But the scriptures teach us to stir one another up. So maybe God has given you your spouse to stir you up. Some of you are like, amen, brother, amen, right? (laughs) Listen, there are people in your community group who are stirring you up. So listen, it's not just our job to be stirred. It's your job to help stir other people. And to teach them, this is where you're gifted. Man, I see this in your life. The way that you have compassion for people. Man, the way that you take a complex truth and you break that down and do all of that. It is stirring each other up. The church is a diversity of people that are a unity of people who know, show, and grow in their spiritual gift. Westside, I feel this in my bones. I'm, listen, I'm using Hershey's chocolate and Christmas presents, right, in September to try anything to try to get this point across that you matter. So what are the discipleship action steps for us as the band comes and leads us in a time of response? We've had a specific action each week for us. Well, the first thing is this. Obviously, we want you to take this assessment. To study, listen, take this assessment with the Bible in your hand, right, in community, talking about this with your spouse. And listen, how cool is it, man, like some light bulbs are going to click on for you guys. Some of you are going to be like, I just, I never understood why I always was so heartbroken for this individual. Or like this experience in my life, I could never get past because I was so fearful and heartbroken that that would happen. You're going to find these things out, and we're going to begin to stir, not just settled in the bottom. As good little Christians who come on Sunday, and here I am, and I stop by every once in a while, and no, 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 man, I need you chocolate, all right? I need you stirred up in this thing, rich. And what's funny is, what's the advertisement for milk? Milk does a body good church is a body we need each other in this so take this but the second thing is this spend time this week asking your christian community what they see in you and do the same for other people so take the test maybe meet with your small group or some people that you're close to and like have coffee at foxtrot we love them we favor them i'm just saying right and then go down have a great time together with your bibles in your hands when this makes sense what are we doing we're stirring and listen this ain't no bus West Side ain't no Greyhound bus. Do not sit back and leave the driving to me, all right? Because I'll drive us off a cliff in this thing. I'm two steps away from stupid, all right? Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to man and in the end is death. We need you. You need us. Because we're a diversity of people that are a unity of people who are going to know and show and grow in our gifts. And West Side, look at me. I believe the best is yet to come. 
God has done things within our church that are insane. There's so much more, man. There's so, there's so many people in Butler County who don't know. They don't know. And man, we're going. We're going. The Bible in our hand, the gospel in our lips, and the spirit of God in our hearts. And man, I'm taking back what hell's stolen. Man, I'm snatching it. No more. No more stats. No more divorces. No more suicides. No more overdoses. And then no more just worldly people who pay taxes and die and go to hell but people who have found their passion, people who are functioning and stirring in this, you're going to get out of it what you put in. And listen, hold on to the cloak of Jesus because we're along for the ride, man. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and have your way with us, Holy Spirit. God, I just pray that people in this room will be affirmed that we are a unity, man, that it's one body. But we're diversity. We have different backgrounds. Why was I born into this family? Why could I, quote, never get out of this town? Why am I always, why, why, why? And man, when we understand that, the diversity helps make the unity. That's where it all happens. Lead us and guide us. Jesus, man, be made big, real big like cosmos big, the ruler of the known universe who does it with his feet up, who spoke it into existence, move in this place and in people's lives. And may we love you more than when we came in. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at and come forward and partake in the Lord's table as you feel led today?